Now, if you're new to us, there is an outline in the bulletin, and uh, we usually fill in blanks, um, recognizing that many of you still play that game where you try to guess the next word. Uh, by the way, all of our words that are fill in the blank will start with C today. So I figured I would throw that out. We're continuing a series that highlights the importance of spiritual growth. We find that the book of Colossians is a book that addresses this as something that should be normal for us as believers. Spiritual growth isn't something that is for the select few. It's something that God wants to see experienced by every follower of Jesus Christ. And really, the book of Colossians is a roadmap to helping us toward that spiritual growth. So this morning, as we look into the 9th through 14th verses of this first chapter, we're going to talk about the importance of growth in knowledge, conduct, and grace. You know, we have several new parents in our church, and I'm so thankful for them. We find that the first-time moms are so concerned with the growth of their babies. They take them in for the well-baby checks, and rightly so, that's important that they do so. But as they bring their babies in, they're measured. Each one of these infants and even toddlers are compared against a standard, and man, they can rattle off the percentile that their kid is in just like that. We can hear them rattle off those percentiles. And it's important that that child is measured in their growth against the norm, against the, the standard. Now, that's for physical and mental development. But I would submit to you that we also have some things in place that can help us evaluate our spiritual growth, and not just as spiritual infants, but throughout our walk, throughout our lives. And that's what we're going to see this morning, that there are certain truths that we need to consider when it comes to our own spiritual growth. There are some standards by which we can measure ourselves and see the direction that we ought to go and where we ought to be in our spiritual growth. So that's what I want us to do this morning. I want us to think in terms of what are the things that will see to my spiritual growth? How can I measure myself against what God has established? Not other people, by the way, but God. What God has established as important elements of spiritual growth. And what we're going to see are some hints from God's Word about how we can grow spiritually. So let's begin with the first one. And that is, we need to be controlled by knowledge, spiritual wisdom, and understanding. And the key to experiencing the control of our life by these elements, knowledge, wisdom, and understanding, is first of all prayer. Notice Paul says in the ninth verse of Colossians chapter 1, for this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Now, here the Word of God is mentioning the role that prayer played in Paul's reaction or relationship with the church at Colossae. 
We know from last week's study that Paul had never personally visited the church at Colossae. We also know that he was burdened for them, that he cared about them, that although he wasn't able to go and invest personally in their spiritual growth, one of the people that he had discipled, Epaphras, had, and they were the result of his ministry. So here, the Apostle Paul is saying quite clearly that although he wasn't there in personal presence, he was with them in prayer. And listen, that's something that we can invest in with one another. One of the keys to spiritual growth is prayer. But not just prayer for our own spiritual growth. Prayer for the spiritual growth of those around us. To me, that's one of the most important elements of being part of a local body of believers. To have people who are genuinely concerned about your spiritual growth who love you enough to want to see you spiritually healthy. The idea of coming into a community of believers isn't that we just sort of gather on Sundays because, hey, that's what we do. But the idea of becoming engaged in investing in the lives of other Christians, caring enough about them to intercede for them, to petition God for them. And that's what Paul did. And look at how he describes it. Here in this text, what he's saying is that they have not stopped praying. Ceaseless prayer was a part of Paul's regimen as he was thinking about this church at Colossae. You know, I was challenged when I read this. How often do I pray for the spiritual growth of those around me? Is it something that enters my mind? We become so individualistic as a society that we often forget, wait a minute, we're part of a community as well, a spiritual community of believers. I need to be in prayer for those around me. Often the people that we pray for spiritually are the ones that we perceive to be in trouble, right? Pray for that lost sheep. But what we read in Colossians is Paul wasn't just praying for those who were in trouble. He was praying for the whole community, even the ones that he didn't perceive to be in trouble. He had just commended them in the previous verses. And yet, here was this consistent prayer, this prayer for their growth, their spiritual growth. So I think this is an encouragement to us all. Paul was not just writing this to give us a history lesson. He's writing it to try and move us in our value system to begin praying for those who are a part of our church family, a part of this church body. Then we move on. As Paul started to share this, he shares with us the key to spiritual growth, and that is that we need to count on God as the one who fills us with these things. Verse 9, he's petitioning God, but what's he asking God for? Look at that ninth verse, and it says this, I am praying for you, asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Very important point here. God is the one who sees to our spiritual growth. Now, we respond to God working and moving in our lives 
But ultimately, my spiritual growth rests in the strength of God. As I become more dependent on Him and less dependent on self, I will see sustained spiritual growth. You know what happens when I just get emotionally whipped up into this idea that I need to grow spiritually? I'll sustain it for a bit, but I will lapse back into old sin patterns. I can't help but do it. God, when He works in our lives, transforms us. So God filling us and working in our lives is transformative. There is sustained and real change. And so what he's praying is that God would do something with the church at Colossae. And what does he ask him to do? He asks them to fill, asks God to fill the church at Colossae, first of all, with his knowledge. Now, when we think of filling something, what do we think of? We think of quantity, don't we? Filling a container to its brim. Now, this is not what Paul is praying for the church at Colossae. He isn't saying, God, give them more facts. Filling carries with it the idea of being controlled by something. In other words, just not the fact that it is in your life, but that the fact that it is in your life changes your life. We use this same pattern of thinking or speaking, don't we? If we say someone is filled with hate, what does that mean to us? Not that they're a container full of hate, but that hate in their lives has caused them to be controlled by it. And their behavior reflects what fills them. Positively, we would say the same thing, that that person is filled with love. They do positive things, good things. Their character demonstrates the love that they have that fills them. So as the children of God, as followers of God, what the Apostle Paul is praying in this text is that we would be filled, first of all, with the knowledge of His will. Now that brings us an important question. What does it mean to be filled with the knowledge of His will? How do we know the will of God? I think that we have a definite answer in Scripture, and that is Scripture. You know how I definitively know what God's will is? By studying His revelation of will. You see, in the church at Colossae, there was a group that had the understanding that there is hidden knowledge. And no one can understand the hidden things of God's Word unless they follow our steps and unite with our group. And in so doing, they can access the hidden knowledge of God. Now, we understand why a sect in a church would want that kind of approach. It makes them vitally important. They're the one that everybody will turn to so that they can interpret the Scripture for them. But I would submit to you that God has given us His Word to reveal His will, not to hide it. So that we can understand who God is and what He has revealed that He wants for us. He wants to see us 
follow after Christ. It's that simple. And he gives us guidelines in Scripture as to how we pursue God, how we grow in our relationship with Him. In both the Old Testament and the New Testament, this is what we find God doing, giving us a way for us to grow in grasping what He has told us about Himself that is so important. It's not hidden from us to be discovered by some mechanism that humans come up with, it is clearly revealed. Now, here's the beauty of God's knowledge and the knowledge of His Word, the knowledge of His will. We grow in it. You know, something I love to do, I love to go back and look at sermons that I preached a few years ago. After you've been in ministry 35 years, you've been through passages of Scripture before you're revisiting them. I look at some of the sermons that I wrote and I'm not one of those pastors who recycles his old sermons. Because you know what I find? When I go back and look at the old sermon that I did, it ain't worth recycling. <laughs> Except maybe in the shredder and recycling the paper. It's something that I need a fresh perspective on. Why? Because I've gained a greater understanding of God's Word. It's plain and it's clear and it's simple, but it's deep. And the more we study it, the deeper we go. And the greater our understanding of God's truth. So this is the prayer that we should pray for ourselves and for other people. God, give me a deeper, fuller, richer understanding of your word. It is simple truth, but it is deep simplicity. And that's what God is calling us to. Paul said this, 1 Corinthians 1.28, He chose the lowly things of this world the despise things, and the things that are not, to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is, our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. So this is what God is asked to control us with. The knowledge of his word, in other words, then I will take the Scripture, and I won't see it as a collection of theological concepts. I will see it as something that guides my conduct on a regular basis. It is a practical grasp of what God has revealed that we're to pray for, that we're to seek. And notice this knowledge of His will is something that dives deep into application. When he says in verse 9 that he is asking God to fill us with the knowledge of his will, this knowledge of his will is to be guided by spiritual wisdom and understanding. Now what that means is this, spiritual wisdom or wisdom of any kind is taking something and seeing the practical application of what we know. So first of all, we know God's will by studying the scripture grasping the principles that God wants us to understand and live by. But wisdom says, I will take those principles and I will practically live them out by my life. This is what God wants us to do with his word. He doesn't want us to be able to go around and spout principles and theology and verses with no context or concept of their meaning. 
God wants practicality. And I would submit to you that really knowing God's word and God's will leads to a practical, godly life. But when we think of practical godliness, sometimes we get confused. We think in terms of a person being able to dot all the right I's and cross all the right T's. But you know, something that we find in this context is there's a greater measurement of whether or not I'm taking the principles of God's truth and practically living them out. Am I loving and am I gracious? You see, verses 3 through 8 commended the church at Colossae not for being theological giants, but for being people who loved and showed grace to those around them. See, I think theology leads us to being loving, gracious people. And it's outworked and lived out through our lives. Something else. We're also to grow in understanding. Listen, there are some times where we read the scripture and we have to connect the dots. It's not just laid out right there for us. When we have a contemporary problem, a contemporary issue, what we have to do is find principles in the Scripture that guide us toward a biblical resolution to that issue. Understanding is taking the principles of God's Word and saying, okay, here is a life situation where the Word of God applies. I can't show you one chapter and verse, but I can show you several that will guide me toward the proper resolution in this. This is what spiritual understanding is. And this is what we should grow in. God wants to see us become people who grow in these things. Well, as we go on through the text, we find something else. We need to be conformed to God's plan for growth. And what we find first as we come to the 10th verse is this. We should follow the course of walking worthy of the Lord. Look with me at the 10th verse. I pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please Him in every way. Listen, when we really understand the Scripture, when I have a knowledge of God's Word and God's will, it's going to inform the decisions that I make and the way that I live. It's going to affect my conduct. So my goal becomes not what do I do to please myself. When I really understand who God is, my goal becomes what can I do to please the Lord. That is a shift in my thinking. We need to live a life worthy of the Lord and we need to live in such a way that we seek to please Him. When I understand who God is, all that God has done for me, that is the reasonable response to who God is. I will live a life of gratitude. Let me tell you something. For me, I am much more motivated by gratitude than guilt. When there's guilt laid on me, I'm going to beat myself up. 
I'm going to become discouraged. I'm going to throw in the towel. If all I get are spiritual beatdowns, then I get to the place to where I say, why even try because I'm so rotten that there's no point. How does God motivate us? God motivates us by sharing, this is what I have done for you because I love you. And our response to God is, I am so grateful for what you've done for me. Why wouldn't I want to please you? I'll do anything that I can to respond to you, God, because of your grace and your goodness to me. That builds loyalty. That builds faithfulness. That builds strength. So as Paul is sharing this, he's saying, look, when we really understand who God is, what God has done, then that's going to cause us to want to walk worthy. And walking worthy, again, was described in those first few verses of chapter 1 where it talks about loving one another, looking to the hope that we have in God and living in light of it. That's what walking worthy is. Walking worthy is not being able to spew theological concepts. That's important to know theology and to know God's Word, but it's not an end in itself. I love what Warren Wiersbe said. Listen, he's one of my favorite pastors and writers, and he said this, my pastoral ministry, I've met people who have become intoxicated with studying the deeper truths of the Bible. Usually they have been given a book or introduced to some teacher's tapes. Before long, they get so smart, they become dumb. The deeper truths they discover only detour them from practical Christian living. Instead of getting burning hearts of devotion to Christ, they get big heads, and they start creating problems in their own homes and in their own churches. All Bible truths are practical, not theoretical. If you are growing in knowledge, we should be growing in grace. So walking worthy is a demonstration of the fact that I am walking with God. Walking worthy isn't me saying, you know, I get all of these things about God and really no one else does. How great I art. That's not the idea. The idea is this is who God is. This is his character. This is how God has demonstrated and revealed himself and it's through love and grace. So those ought to occupy my heart and my thinking as well. So what do we find? We find that there are some characteristics that will demonstrate that we're walking worthy of the Lord. And these are very practical measurements for us to look at. So let's look at these in verses 11 through 12. Verse 11. How do I know that I'm growing in the knowledge of God? Look at what it says. We pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please Him in every way. And actually, this begins in the 10th verse. Bearing fruit in every good work. Now, when we think of bearing fruit, unfortunately, many of us think in terms of evangelism. I've borne fruit when I reproduce, when I see another person who has been led to the Lord. That's one isolated area of bearing fruit. I think a more accurate 
way of measuring whether or not I'm bearing fruit is by what God says is fruit and evidence of the Spirit's work in our lives. And that's found in the book of Galatians. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's what fruit is. That's what God wants to see us walk in if we're growing in Him. So, here's the idea. When I understand the knowledge of God's will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, I will walk in this manner. I will, first of all, one, be one who, who bears these things in my life. I will be loving. I will take joy in the fact that God's purposes are being accomplished. I will have an inner peace about things. I will be patient with even obnoxious people. I will be kind to those around me. I will be good. I will be faithful. I will not run roughshod over people, but be gentle. And I will evidence self-control. That is the true mark of knowing and understanding who God is and what He's revealed. Something else. Whoops. Look at what else we find in this text. We will be bearing good fruit, but we will also be growing in the knowledge of God. Listen, when I am growing in the knowledge of God, there isn't a place where I look and I say, okay, I have now arrived. I now know everything that there is to know about God, so I don't need to listen anymore. You know what the mark of spiritual maturity is? Teachability. Having my ears open and my heart open to what God says. That's a mark of true spiritual maturity. God wants us to bear fruit, to be teachable, to be diving deeper and, and growing in our knowledge of Him. Third characteristic. Look at what else Paul brings out. Verse 11. Being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience. Now, this third element that he mentions, in addition to bearing fruit, in addition to this teachability of growing in my knowledge of God, he now mentions a dependence on God. When a person understands that they are strengthened with power according to God's glorious might, it transforms them. When the Scripture uses the term strengthened with power, it's an Old Testament concept where God would come upon those great leaders in the Old Testament and empower them to do impossible things. That's being strengthened with power. The word that is translated power in this text is a word that means, or we get our word actually dynamic from it. In other words, strength to accomplish change. And so what I need to recognize is this. My spiritual growth doesn't rest in my effort and my desire to grow in these things and hard work, those are important as they reflect dependence. My real growth comes from an ever-increasing dependence on God. 
In other words, I recognize how weak and inept I am, and I run to God and say, God, strengthen me and change me by the power of your might. Strengthen me, God, with the strength that you provide. Real spiritual growth comes from dependence. And look at the last part of this in verse 11. We bear good fruit, we grow in knowledge, we are strengthened by the power of God, and all of this happens so that you may have great endurance and patience. You know how I know if I'm developing in these areas of bearing fruit, growing in God's knowledge, strengthened with His power? These are tough tests. (coughs) But these tests show us whether or not we're doing that. And that is, we're grateful, we endure, and we have patience. You know, to me, one of the greatest marks of maturity is gratitude. Immature people are ungrateful people, aren't they? Man, we look at the society around us, and there are a lot of ungrateful people that have the world owes me a living mentality, and they're frustrating And you know what we find in them? They're horribly immature. When I look at a mature person, I see someone who recognizes that someone did something for them and they're thankful. The believer recognizes this in God. And so when God asks us to do something that is inconvenient or difficult... I reflect on gratitude and what He has done for me, so I will be patient and enduring in doing what He has asked me to do. If I'm ungrateful, then I'll look at God and say, well, what have you done for me lately? But if I have the right perspective, then I'll look and say, God, you have done so much for me. This is a small thing to ask. I will push through. I will patiently endure the people around me, I will endure the circumstances that I'm placed in because of what you've done for me, God. How could I do anything less? Final thought. We need to be conscious of what God has done for us. This really matches up with the idea of gratitude. When we come to the 12th verse, it says, giving thanks to the Father. And and look at what the Father has done for us. First of all, He has conferred on us the privilege of sharing in his inheritance. I love the song the worship team did right before the message. What what a great reminder of what we have because of Christ. And look at what the scripture says. He has qualified, let's put me in there, to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. You know what? At one time, I was in the dominion of darkness. In fact, the 13th verse goes on to say, for he has rescued you from the dominion of darkness and brought you into the light of the kingdom he loves. God has conferred on us a beautiful position. Heirs, recipients of his kingdom. Undeserving as we are, God has conferred that on us. He has given it to us freely. Peter wrote the following. 
Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by the power of God until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Wow. That is our standing that God has freely given us by His grace. When we trusted Christ, this became who we were. And I want you to think about what he's saying here in Colossians. This is an inheritance, not just for me, but shared with all the saints. Look to your left and to your right. They're co-heirs. We're a part of the body of Christ, and we share in the inheritance of the saints. We're with other believers who are on that same journey. And that's the beauty of a local church. We come together with those who are plodding along on that journey toward the inheritance, already possessing it, but one day experiencing it. God has given us that huge privilege. What a blessing that is. He has converted us, redeemed us, and forgiven us. Now again, look at verse 13. After Paul shares that we are inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light, he talks about our conversion, the change from darkness into light. And look at what he says in verse 13. He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son that he loves. When Paul writes, he has rescued us, interesting word in the original language. You know what the word rescued really literally carries as far as its idea? Being grabbed and drug out of somewhere. In other words, we were so helpless and so hopeless, it wasn't like God took us by the hand and walked us out of darkness into the light. He dragged us out of darkness into the light because we could not save ourselves. What a beautiful picture of what God has done for us. He has brought us into this new kingdom, out of darkness into the light. John wrote this. This is the verdict. The light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of the light because their deeds were evil. Listen, we would have all bought in to the dominion, the the rule, the leadership of darkness... But God in His love reached out to us and dragged us to safety because of His great love. If that doesn't elicit the feeling of gratitude and thankfulness, I don't know what will. God loves us in this way. But look at what else is stated in this. He dragged us from this dominion of darkness into the kingdom of the Son that He loves. And then verse 14, and with this we'll close, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. God has given us, first of all, redemption. You know what redemption means? To buy out. 
The image is that of a slave who is held in slavery until somebody comes and pays a redemption price that buys them out of that slavery and sets them free. Isn't that a beautiful picture of what God does for us in salvation? We're enslaved to sin and all of its consequences, but the blood of Jesus Christ shed on the cross for us was the redemption price that fully and completely delivers us from condemnation. We're redeemed. We're not only redeemed, we're forgiven. Isn't it great to know that all of my unrighteous deeds are forgiven by God? Take your Bibles and turn to the second chapter. Probably most of you will just have to flip a page. But look at verses 13 and 14 where this forgiveness is described. We'll pick it up at verse 13 here in chapter 2. When you were dead in your sin and the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. Now look at this next statement. He forgave us all our sins. Having canceled the written code with its regulation that was against us and stood opposed to us, he took it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made public spectacle of them, triumphing, triumphing over them by the cross. That's God's forgiveness. God has wholly and completely forgiven us. The image of nailing it to the cross, the offenses of the crucified were nailed to a cross. If you were a murderer, they would put a plaque that said murderer. If you were a thief, they would put a plaque that said thief. And the idea was the death on the cross was payment for the crime. So the image that Scripture is giving us, and we'll get into this more, I don't want to steal my thunder for later, but the image that Scripture is giving us is God's forgiveness is complete because Jesus was our substitute. He died on the cross, not for his offenses, but for mine. Every one of my sins nailed to the cross with Jesus paying for every one of those sins, thereby securing for me forgiveness and a right relationship with God. Listen, when we grasp these truths, we grow. You can't help but grow. We should never lose the wonder the amazement at how much we are loved by God, what His grace has done for us. And when we grow in that appreciation, that knowledge, when we grow in those things, it will be reflected in our walk. We know that there are markers for little ones who grow physically, who grow emotionally, mentally. But there are also markers for all of us as far as our spiritual growth. Where do the markers in your life put you? 
Now, that's something only you can answer. I can't answer it for you. No one else can. But are you seeing your walk transformed by the power of God's truth? Are you growing in your gratitude? Are you demonstrating fruit, dependent on God's strength? Are the markers in your life evident that you're growing in God's grace? Let's all pray for ourselves and for one another that this will be the case.